Welcome back, listeners. This is Rethinking with Rosie. There's so much going on right now, and I'm still processing it, but I wanted to say something, or rather, I wanted to start addressing several things. First of all, the reason why I took such a long hiatus is because of COVID. I was away from school, and the school was closed anyway, and that's where I had been recording. A friend of mine let me borrow her mic, so that's what I'm using today. So if the recording quality is different, that is the reason why. Uh, then the world started waking up to racism and I just kind of wanted to observe and process. I also didn't want to center myself and I still do not. But I have some things on my mind I want to share. I also recognize that some of you are friends so you might listen to me when you are not listening or reading what is being shared on social media or on the news. By the way, today is June 10th, 2020. And if you have not been following the news, it has been a heck of a time for African Americans. First of all, Ahmed Aubrey was killed while jogging because two white men were suspicious of him because he was black. They were not arrested for two months. When the video of his killing went viral, people demanded his murderers be arrested. I haven't heard further updates. Then Breonna Taylor was killed while sleeping because the cops came to the wrong apartment. Her boyfriend, who was legally carrying a weapon, shot in self-defense and was arrested. He has since been released, but her killers have not been arrested. They have been fired, but not arrested. Then George Floyd was killed after a police officer knelt on his neck for 8 minutes and 42 seconds. Again, the officer was only arrested when people demanded it. The other officers involved have been arrested, too. The sentence went up from the original sentence, and again, this is because of people demanding it. Before and during all of this, the world is experiencing a pandemic, which the U.S. has poorly handled and has affected poor communities since there is a larger number of poor people who are brown and black. COVID has affected brown and black people more than others. So this is why African Americans are in pain. And this just brushes the surface as to why. Not to mention that I just listed off these horrors to you and you listened to them like I was reading off my grocery list. But we should all be in pain. Protests have broken out in all 50 states and there has been global solidarity. The protests started out as demanding that George Floyd's murderers be arrested, but it has always been beyond that, which I'm going to get to. The protests have also sparked an open awareness about racism in the U.S., a topic that has been a taboo topic in many spaces. Social, social media is filled with both shows of solidarity and personal reflection, and also the opposite of that, defensiveness, denial, and even further instances of racism. There's so much to say and do about all of this that it is overwhelming. At first, I felt a lot of anger at the ignorance of people, but I am learning to be more reflective. Upon reflecting, I recognize if this was happening a few years ago, I do not know if I would share what I'm sharing now. I did not have the opinions that I have today. Just a few years ago, I was ignorant too, and I admit there are many things I still do not have sufficient knowledge of. Up until around the time I was doing my master's, which started in 2014, I was pretty conservative. This had to do with my upbringing and also that the majority of my social interactions 
were with fellow church members and the majority of them were conservative. I rarely associated with people who had a different point of view or saw things that challenged the way I thought. I used to be one of those people who said, you can support Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter. Today, I see that as a way of declaring neutrality, and neutrality takes the side of the oppressor by default. I used to vote for policies which hurt the marginalized because I did not fully understand them. I once shamed someone for not voting for a political leader I supported, not realizing that my support of that leader was basically saying I didn't care about her struggles or her family's struggles. I say all this just to recognize that I was not always aware and to acknowledge the ways I was complicit to oppression. Actions are more important than apologies, and I stated in a previous episode that people don't want apologies, so the only one I want to apologize to here is myself. I'm so glad that I have learned and progressed so I can be where I am in this moment. I'm not perfect. I know a lot of people are where I once was, but it is hard for me, with all the knowledge I have now, to be patient and wait for those people to get on board. I am impatient. I regret not always being here, and I want to prevent anyone else from feeling the regret I feel. I do not want to be on the wrong side of history in this moment. I do not think any of us do. So right now, we have to do hard things. We have to talk about things that are uncomfortable. This might mean arguing with people. This might mean cutting off people from social media and so much more. If you or your loved ones do not support the protesters and what we are demanding, I wonder if you or they would have supported Martin Luther King Jr., a man so many people are quoting these days. Do you even know what the protesters are demanding? I'm going to talk about it and several other things. While we absolutely need to mourn for George Floyd, Recognize that in that morning also comes the morning of countless others named and unnamed who were murdered because of racism. As I said, this has always been bigger than the death of one man, and let me explain why. I'm going to read you portions of a timeline of events that led to the 2020 Fed Up, Fed Up Rising, written by Michael Harriet. August 1619, The White Lion a 160-ton Dutch privateer ship flying a British flag landed at Comfort Point in Virginia, loaded with 20 and odd Negroes to be exchanged for food and the best and easiest rates. 1636. Boston creates the Night Watch, which would become the first police force in America. June 1640. Virginia's general court created what many are calling the nation's first slave, when the court condemned John Punch, an African, to a life sentence of servitude because he was black. Punch, one of the original white lion Africans, had run away from his master along with an indentured Dutch servant and an indentured English servant. When they were found and brought back to their master, a judge ordered the three absconders to be whipped 30 times apiece. The Dutchman and the Englishman were sentenced to a one-year extension on their indentured servitude contract, and that the third, being a ne Negro named John Punch, shall, ser shall serve his master or his assigns for the time of his natural life here or elsewhere. 1669. Virginia's legislator passes an act about the casual killing of slaves. According to the new law, masters who kill their slaves in the act of punishing them are held not to be responsible of murder. 1704. South Carolina creates the first modern-day public police force, called slave patrols. These publicly funded organizers served three functions, 
one, to chase down, apprehend, and return runaway slaves to their owners, two, to provide a form of organized terror to deter slave revolts, and three, to maintain a form of discipline for slave workers who violated rules. September 9, 1739, Jemmy, a literate enslaved Congolese warrior in South Carolina, organizes an uprising against whites that results in 25 colonists and 35 to 50 Africans being killed. The Stono Rebellion was the largest revolt in the British mainland colonies. April 1740. After the Stono Rebellion, South Carolina passes the Negro Law of 1740, making it illegal for enslaved Africans to leave the U.S., assemble in groups, grow food, earn money, and learn to write. The law also gave slave owners permission to kill rebellious slaves, and it remained in effect until 1865. March 5, 1770. America's first police brutality protest turns into a riot when Br British troops charged the policing colonists, charged with policing colonists, opened fire on Boston residents. Crispus Attucks, a black man, is killed during what we now call the Boston Massacre. December 1791, Congress ratifies the Second Amendment to the Constitution, giving Americans the right to bear arms. James Madison created the amendment to allay fears of armed black uprisings. March 6, 1857, Supreme Court issues a verdict in Dred, versus Stanford, Dred Scott v. Stanford, in which Chief Justice Roger Taney wrote, Black Americans had, for more than a century before, been regarded as beings of an inferior order and altogether unfit to associate with the white race, either in social or political relations, and so far inferior that they had no rights which the white man was bound to respect. April 12, 1861. Eleven state governments unite to form a white supremacist nation, deciding they'd rather stop being Americans than stop enslaving humans. The Civil War is still the bloodiest war in American history. April 9, 1865. White supremacist nation admits it got its butt kicked. December 24, 1865. A group composed of former Confederate soldiers, slave patrols, and law enforcement officers formed the Circle of Friends, also known as the Ku Klux, Ku Klux Klan. July 9, 1868, U.S. ratifies the Fourth Amendment, making former enslaved African citizens of the United States, kinda. July 9, 1868 to 1877, KKK and whites organize a national terror campaign that massacres tens and tens of thousands of black people across the country. January 1877, Following mass violence against African Americans and widespread voter fraud, a group of U.S. Senators and Congressmen agreed to settle the result of the 1876 presidential election. In exchange for installing Rutherford, Rutherford B. Hayes as president, the Cabal's compromise allowed Southern states to subjugate black citizens. Summer 1919, widespread riots break out across the U.S. when black veterans return from World War I with notions of equality. Many of these riots involved police officers, and few of the participants of the white lynch mobs were convicted. August 28, 1955, 14-year-old Emmett Till is kidnapped, tortured, killed, wrapped with barbed wire, and thrown into the Tallatachie River in Money, Mississippi, after Carolyn Bryant tells a white lie. His murderers are never convicted, even after publicly confessing to the crime. 
May 14, 1961, Birmingham, Alabama Police Commissioner Bull Connor, along with KKK co-conspirators, coordinate an attack on Freedom Riders. Klansmen and recruited racists beat, firebombed, and hospitalized peaceful protesters in Anniston, Alabama. August 12, 1963, Martin Luther King delivers his I Have a Dream speech at the March on Washington saying, we can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. September 15, 1963. White supremacists, one of whom was FBI was an FBI informant, bombed the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, killing 14-year-old Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, and Carol Robertson, and 11-year-old Denise McNair as they were pulling on their choir robes. February 18, 1965, Alabama State Trooper shot Jimmy Lee Jackson, a nonviolent protester. March 7, 1965, Alabama State Troopers and the KKK attacked 300 nonviolent protesters on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. April 3, 1991, a video camera captures four Los Angeles Police Department officers beating Rodney King, one of the first viral police brutality videos. April 21, 1992. A jury acquits the four officers who beat Rodney King. Riots ensue. February 23, 1999. Four NYPD officers shoot and kill 23-year-old Amadou Diallo. The officers were acquitted on all charges. November 26, 2006. Seven undercover NYPD officers fire more than 50 rounds of ammunition and unarmed Sean Bell at a bachelor party. The officers were acquitted on all charges. February 26, 2002. 17-year-old Trayvon Martin is stalked, chased, and shot by George Zimmerman after 911 operators tell Zimmerman to leave the teenager alone. Six weeks after the shooting, Zimmerman was arrested and subsequently acquitted of murder. March 21, 2012, Chicago police officer Dante Servin shoots unarmed Rekia Boyd. He is acquitted on all charges. July 17, 2014, NYPD officer Daniel Pantaleo kills Eric Gardner. Pantaleo has never been convicted of a crime. August 9, 2014, Ferguson. Officer Darren Wilson shoots and kills 18-year-old Mike Brown Jr. Wilson was not charged with a crime. November 22, 2014, Cleveland police officer Timothy Lohman kills 12-year-old Tamir Rice. Lohman is not charged with a crime. April 4, 2015, a bystander captures North Charleston, South Carolina police officer Michael Slager shooting unarmed Walter Scott as Scott runs away during a traffic stop. Slager pled guilty to federal deprivation of rights under the color of law and was sentenced to 20 years in prison. April 12, 2015, Baltimore resident Freddie Gray was arrested for carrying a knife and died from injuries while being transported to jail. No one, ha no one involved was convicted of a crime. July 19, 2015, University of Cincinnati officer Ray Tensing shot and killed Sam DuBose during a traffic stop. Tensing was not convicted of a crime. July 13, 2015, Sandra Bland is found hanged in the jail cell after a dash cam captures her brutal arrest by state trooper Brian Encina, who is never convicted of a crime. July 2, 2016, St. Anthony, Minnesota. 
Police officer Geronimo Yanez shoots Philandro Castile during a traffic stop in which Castile was not driving or committing a crime. Yanez was, was acquitted on all charges. July 5, 2016, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Officers shoot 37-year-old Alton Sterling as he lays on the ground, restrained by officers. No one is charged with a crime. August 1, 2016, moments after authorities coerce Facebook and Instagram to shut off the light the live feed for 23-year-old Corin Gaines standoff with police. Baltimore County police officers bur burst into her home and shoot her dead as she holds her son in her arms. No one is convicted of a crime. September 16, 2016, Tulsa, Oklahoma police officer Betty Shelby shoots unarmed Terrence Crutcher as a news helicopter records the footage. She is acquitted of first-degree manslaughter. March 18, 2018, Sacramento police officers open fire on 23-year-old Stephen Clark, striking him eight times, six of which were in his back. No one was ever charged with Clark's death. September 6, 2018, Officer Amber Geiger enters the home of Botham Jean and shoots him dead. She is convicted of murder and sentenced to 10 years in prison. July 12, or sorry, October 12, 2019, Fort Worth, Texas police officer Aaron Dean shoots through the window of 28-year-old Atana Jefferson, killing her. Dean is fired and charged with murder. February 23, 2020, a vigilante mob in Brunswick, Georgia, chases down and shoots 23-year-old Ahmed Aubrey, killing him. Travis and Gregory McMichael have been arrested for his death after more than two months of freedom. A third man, William Roddy Bryan, has also been charged after filming the crime. March 13, 2020, Louisville, Kentucky. Police officers Jonathan Mattingly, Brent Hanskin, and Miles Cosgrove entered the apartment of 26-year-old Brianna Taylor to serve a no-knock warrant on her boyfriend and shot Taylor dead. No one has been charged with a crime. May 25, 2020, Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin kneels on the neck of George Floyd for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, 2 minutes and 53 seconds of which occurred after Floyd was unconscious. Floyd dies. Chauvin is charged with third-degree murder after four days of freedom. Three officers who were present have not been charged. Well, they have since been charged with second-degree murder, by the way. May 27, 2020, Minneapolis residents say F this. May 29th to present. Present, America says, dang right, F this. Now America reaps an infinitesimally microscopic fraction of the racist chaos, violence, and lawlessness it has sown. So, as I said, this is more, this is about more than George Floyd. It's beyond him. Not to mention countless unnamed individuals and events. So now we are protesting either in person or in word, in mentality or on foot. But what are the protests really for? They are about more than just being angry. But I do want to validate that feeling of anger. Because after reading that, I do. I feel angry. I feel angry and I feel sad. We want to end police brutality by abolishing police in a gradual way that means defunding them. I understand that abolishing the police sounds radical, but please remember that abolishing slavery once sounded radical too. I want to talk more about what defunding and abolishing the police means and looks like in another episode, but I will introduce a few things now. Let me mention two different groups you can donate to and what they stand for. 
I learned about these groups through a community-created document called Actions for George, George Floyd and Police Brutality. I shared this document on the Rethinking with Rosie Facebook page. The first group is called Reclaim the Block. Reclaim the Block began in 2018 and organizes Minneapolis community and city council members to move money from the police department into other areas of the city's budget that truly promote community health and safety. We believe health, safety, and resiliency exist without police of any kind. We organize around policies that strengthen community-led safety initiatives and re reduce reliance on police departments. We do not believe that increased regulation of or public engagement with the police will lead to safer communities, as community testimony and documented police conduct suggest otherwise. The second group is called Black Visions Collective. Since 2017, Black Visions Collective has been putting into practice the lessons learned from organizations before us in order to shape a political home for Black people across Minnesota. We aim to center our work in healing and transformative justice principles, intentionally develop our organization's core DNA to ensure sustainability, and develop Minnesota's emerging Black leadership to lead powerful campaigns. By building movements from the ground up with an integrated model, we are creating the conditions for long-term success and transformation. Black Visions Collective envisions a world in which all Black lives matter. We use the guidance and brilliance of our ancestors, as well as the teachings of our own experiences, to pursue our commitment to dismantling systems of oppression and violence. We are determined in our pursuit of dignity and equity for all. I personally have been a longtime supporter of restorative justice in schools. And perhaps that is why it was not too difficult for me to embrace the idea of abolishing the police. I have wanted cops out of schools for years, and I want more counselors, counselors who are more like therapists. Restorative justice is an ancient indigenous way of resolving conflict between the person who has been hurt and the person who has caused the, caused the harm. It means learning how your actions have hurt another and making amends. I believe these are crucial component, components that our criminal justice system leaves out. We cannot talk about abolishing the police without abolishing prisons. This is something I also want to talk about more in another episode, but I want to recommend that all of you watch the film Just Mercy, starring Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx, and based on the life of Brian Stevenson and the book he wrote by the same name, this movie is free to watch during the month of June. I'm reading the book now. If you have Netflix, I also urge you to watch the documentary 13th. Being aware of what these films bring to light will prepare you for the mental work it takes to reimagine a society without police and without prisons. I want to reiterate a few things that were mentioned in the timeline I read to you. I need all of you listening to wrap your minds around how the society we live in was built. In school, we are taught that Columbus discovered America, and I have discovered in air quotes. Um, we even taught, we are even taught this concept of the doctrine of discovery, which means that when a person, colonizers, for instance, discovers, again, air quotes, a place, he owns it. However, to indigenous people, land is not ownable. Indigenous people have a sacred responsibility to land, but they do not believe it can be owned. Taking of indigenous lands is the taking of that which is sacred. 
colonizers such as Columbus and other settlers were only able to take this land by killing indigenous people. We are not taught about that enough. We are not taught about the violence that ensued on the land we live on. We are also not taught that this violence continues to ensue, and it is not made clear that indigenous people survived, and they live today, and we do not know enough about them or their perspectives. The concept of settler colonialism is taught as a past event, but scholars state that it is not an event, but a societal structure. The structure is a triad, and the triad is upheld by 1. Eliminating native people, 2. Racializing non-white people as outsiders, and 3. Creating laws to uphold both 1 and 2. These things have been ongoing, and they continue today. So, settler colonialism continues today, and it will continue until we stop it. We cannot eradicate racism until we end settler colonialism once and for all. White supremacy comes out of settler colonialism, because white supremacy is the creation of a racial hierarchy, which racializing non-white people as outsiders upholds, as does creating laws to make that racial hierarchy legal. Now that we are openly talking about racism, we can certainly openly talk about settler colonialism too. Our country as a whole needs to engage in restorative conflict resolution. Our country needs to admit its history of wrongdoing and make it right. We have not done this, and I do not see how we can ever truly rid ourselves of racism without doing so. Have you seen the movie Frozen 2? Well, if you haven't, I'm going to spoil it for you but I will omit the details. One of the sisters learns of a wrong her grandfather did and realizes that it must be made right. She is even willing to destroy her kingdom in the process of making it right. The killing of native people, taking their land, forcing them to give up their culture to become civilized, is a wrong that needs to be righted. But instead, we as a country have continued to take more and more indigenous lands and kill more and more indigenous people. The killing of indigenous people continues today through racial profiling lack and lack of resources and funding given to native people who live on reservations. The kidnapping and forced enslavement of countless Africans for centuries is a wrong that needs to be righted. Our country only apologized for slavery in 2009 and that apology came with several caveats. Reparations have yet to be made. Instead of righting this wrong, our country has statues of Confederate soldiers, soldiers who believed in owning other humans. We name streets and schools after these men. Not to mention the countless Columbus statues all over our country. We hide that the founders of this country also believed in owning humans. These are wrongs that need to be righted. These statues need to come down. Streets need to be renamed. The Confederate flag and all it stands for needs to be banned. But we also need to learn why these things need to be done. That is part of what reconciliation means. These wrongs need to be righted on many levels. I absolutely support monetary reparations. But I also believe reparations need to be made in education to pay the debt owed to students of color. By the way, Gloria Ladson Billings coined the term education debt, not me. Ta-Nehisi Coates crafted a fantastic essay on reparations that I wish all of you would read. 
Coates argues that reparations are needed to help the country heal and progress. He states, What I'm talking about is a national reckoning that would lead to spiritual renewal. Reparations would mean the end of scarfing hot dogs on the 4th of July while denying the facts of our heritage. Reparations would mean the end of yelling patriotism while waving a Confederate flag. Reparations would mean a revolution of the American consciousness, a reconciling of our self-image as the great democratizer with the facts of our history. Listeners, our country never stopped being racist. We just got better at hiding it for a while. The civil rights movement moved us forward in some great ways. I do not want to minimize the work and sacrifice of so many great civil rights activists, many of whom we do not talk about. For example, apart from Dr. King and Malcolm X, there was Angela Davis, Asada Shakur, Stokely Carmichael, Fred Hampton, and many others. Every one of these people were killed or exiled except for Angela Davis, and her book, Are Prisons Obsolete, is available for free online. Listeners, we failed these people I have just named. We failed them because we got comfortable. We trusted ourselves and our government too much, and what happened was racist laws and policies were rewritten and disguised. However, time has exposed the truth, and here we are. This is our chance to make a lasting change so the next generation doesn't have to fight for equality and equity, so that more people do not have to die for liberation. I want to share some things from Brian Stevenson's TED Talk, We Need to Talk About Injustice. Brian Stevenson is a lawyer and represents people on death row. He states that slavery did not end, but it evolved. And what it evolved into is our criminal justice system, which includes law enforcement. He says, we have in this country this dynamic where we really don't like to talk about our problems. We don't like to talk about our history. And because of that, we really haven't understood what it's meant to do the things we've done historically. We have a hard time talking about race, and I believe it's because we are unwilling to commit ourselves to a process of truth and reconciliation. In South Africa, people understood that we couldn't overcome apartheid without a commitment to truth and reconciliation. In Rwanda, even after the genocide, there was this commitment, but in this country, we haven't done that. He talks about his experience speaking in Germany and how one man came up to him and said, we don't have the death penalty in Germany. And of course, we can never have the death penalty in Germany. And the room got very quiet and this woman says, there's no way with our history we could ever engage in the systematic killing of human beings. It would be unconscionable for us to, in an intentional and deliberate way, set about executing people. I thought about that, what it would feel like to be living in a world where the nation state of Germany was executing people, especially if they were disproportionately Jewish. I couldn't bear it. It would be unconscionable. And yet in this country, in the states of the Old South, we execute people, where you're 11 times more likely to get the death penalty if the victim is white than if the victim is black, 22 times more likely to get it if the defendant is black and the victim is white. In the very states where there are buried in the ground the bodies of people who were lynched, and yet there is this disconnect. He says, we cannot be full evolved human beings 
until we care about human rights and basic dignity, that all of our survival is tied to the survival of everyone. Both Coates and Stevenson talk about a change that needs to take place, and really this change cannot take place without our hearts. We have yet to get real and we have yet to get raw. We need to stop talking about how great we are as a country. And we need to do the hard work it takes to live up to our values of freedom, justice, and equality. I'm telling you this because I believe in you. I believe in our power. Changing our society is not an individual act. It is a collective collaboration. And I honestly and truly believe that together we can change our society. But it is going to take your willingness to sacrifice the society we know of today. I have to believe that to have hope. So stay tuned and let's learn about the changes we can make. And remember, change starts with rethinking.